Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This episode of the Rural Woman Podcast contains discussion of mental health, mental illness, and discussion of suicide. These themes may be upsetting to some listeners. If you or a loved one find yourself needing emotional support or are in crisis, please note the following resources and phone numbers. Crisis Service Canada, 1-833-456-4566, or send a text to 45645. The U.S. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, one 800 273-8255 or text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor in either Canada or the U.S. All of these phone numbers and text lines, as well as other helpful resources, will be listed in today's show notes. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. On this week's episode, you'll meet Kate Niemeyer. Kate grew up on her family's hog farm in Butler, Illinois. She was involved in 4-H and FFA and has helped out on her grandparents' grain and cattle operation. Growing up, Kate always knew she had a passion for teaching on top of agriculture, so it was a no-brainer for Kate to get her bachelor's in ag education from Western Illinois University in 2010. Since then, Kate has had experience working as the Farm Bureau Manager for the state of Illinois and spent eight years working in the classroom as an ag teacher. Today, Kate shares with us the story of her brother Andrew and how he lost his life to suicide in 2014. Kate hopes that by sharing her story, she is able to help others who have experienced a similar loss and to help prevent another suicide death. I'm honored that Kate agreed to share her story with us here today on the Rural Woman Podcast. I initially heard Kate's story on another show, the Egg State of Mind podcast hosted by Jason Meadows, which I want to give a shout out here today on the show. Jason does incredible work and focuses on the state of mental health in agriculture and is a great resource for you guys to check out. So I have linked his show in the show notes for today's podcast. And speaking of show notes, please make sure you guys take a look. Um, I have listed a ton of resources in regards to mental health and agriculture, as well as mental health in general, including some training opportunities that you guys are able to take if you're looking to further your knowledge in mental health awareness, mental health education, all of the things. So the link to the full show notes are listed in your listening app, wherever you're listening. So without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Kate. Hi, Kate. How are you? Wonderful. How are you today? I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. I'm really excited to be able to share your story. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate I jump on any opportunity I get to share. So I'm really glad to be here today. Oh, that's so good. I'm so happy. So for the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, give us a brief description of who you are and where you're from. My name is Kate Meyer. I am from Butler, Illinois. Butler is about halfway between Springfield and St. Louis, not far off Interstate 55. I grew up on a hog farm. My dad raised pigs, 300 sow, fair to finish. 
for all of my childhood, spent a long time there growing up and working alongside him with in the hog operation and my mom too. Also involved a little bit with both my grandparents, grain farmed and raised cattle. So I had a lot of different experiences in the ag industry, you know, was heavily involved in 4-H and SSA throughout my school years. And growing up, I knew I always had a passion for teaching, you know, sharing with people, you know, teaching them how to do things, that sort of thing. I just wasn't really sure what subject I wanted to teach. And so when it was time to, you know, pick my career path, agriculture like a no-brainer as a path for me to follow after high school. And so I earned my bachelor's in ag education from Western Illinois University. I graduated in 2010. And since then, I've worked for Farm Bureau as a Farm Bureau manager here in the state of Illinois. I've spent eight years in the classroom as a ag teacher. But my current role at Pawnee High School is industrial arts teacher. So I'm teaching all the shop classes there. And weird year to start a new job in the middle of a pandemic. But I do pretty good at flying by the seat of my pants. So, (laughs) well, I'm not worried about too much this year other than, you know, the mental health and the safety of my students, even though I can't see them every day. Absolutely. Kate, you are a superstar. We were chatting before we hit record and I told Kate that I have so much respect for teachers and I think they're superheroes on a regular day. But in 2020, I really think we can all agree that teachers are very much superheroes. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I am scared on a lot of levels that I'm not going to get this right. But, you know, and starting a new job, you feel like that most people feel like that anyway. But this year, I especially feel that way. But I find a little a little comfort in knowing that even the veteran teachers that work at my school are feeling a lot of the same things I'm feeling. So, you know, I think we're all just giving it our best. And we'll, we'll hopefully this year goes off as smoothly as you could during a pandemic. <laughs> Absolutely. Get one day at a time and you just do the best you can and we all figure it out together. So I don't think any of us have gone through a global pandemic before. So it's new for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank goodness. Thank goodness. This is the first time. <laughs> yes. And hopefully let's make it the last time. Let's make it the last time, everybody. <laughs> yeah. For, yeah. In my lifetime, at least. Yes. I mean, you know, things happen and it'll probably happen again sometime, but let's, you know, give it another 80 or 90 years. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So tell us more about your upbringing on the farm. What were some of your favorite memories that you have from growing up with your dad's hog farm? Well, we grew up showing pigs. I think that's a logical thing that livestock families do, you know, load up a few pigs and go to town for the county fair and whatnot. But I really enjoyed showing pigs and so did my brother. And that was a point of bonding for us a lot throughout his life. And, you know, you never get rid of the bug, I don't feel like. So my boys have had the opportunity to show a little bit, even as young as they are, and they've got the bug too. They really enjoy the livestock. We're doing more. We lost my grandpa in 2017. And so my dad and I have kind of taken over some of the management decisions for his herd of Simmental cattle. And they love the cattle as much as they love the pig. So I'm really excited to see what the future holds for them in the livestock industry because it was such a big part of mine. You know, I served on uh, the Team Purebred Junior Board of Directors, which is a show organization for kids who show spots, Poland's, Burks, and Chester's. 
And they've added a couple of breeds since then, the mix, some of the lesser known breeds. But when I was there, it was just four main ones and a lot of leadership opportunities through the swine industry throughout my childhood and just great experience. And I chose to be an ag teacher, but really I couldn't see myself in a career that wasn't promoting or advocating for agriculture in some way. My grandparents always valued education so much that, you know, it was a logical choice to be a teacher, but also incorporating the importance of agriculture in my life was really important to me as well. Well, you got the best of both worlds then. That's awesome. Yes. Yes. That is so good. So Kate, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, which we are focusing here on the Rural Women podcast this month to help bring awareness and share the stories of people who have been affected by this. So can you share with us your story and how this topic relates to you and your family? So I lost my brother, Andrew, to suicide in February of 2014. It was the week before his 21st birthday. At the time, he was a junior at Western, and he was going through a rough patch. He had been through some experiences in college and just was experiencing a lot of stress. He was on the livestock judging team there. So, you know, being involved in a collegiate activity is very time-consuming, and not just of your time, but also of your energy. And he felt a lot of stress to do well in school and have a positive impact on the judging team. In retrospect, I can say I feel like he was experiencing some depression, anxiety, and didn't know what to do or what to say or who to talk to to help himself cope with those feelings. And it was tragic. He was always so kind and so positive, and he was there for me at the drop of a hat. I struggled with epilepsy for quite a while, and I wasn't diagnosed until I was 19. And he was somebody who was there for me throughout my diagnosis and not driving and getting adjusted to medicine. And I could always count on him to listen and also to drive me places because that was kind of important to still be able to get around. (laughs) And we really bonded over that. Not that we hadn't bonded over things in the past, but, you know, those three or four years up until I lost him, we had gotten to be really close. And, you know, my mom always told me growing up because we weren't as close growing up. We were always taking in each other and, you know, five years apart, that tends to happen. And my mom always said, you know, someday, someday you will be close and you will appreciate each other and all the things that you've been through together. And I just kind of blew her off because, you know, I was a teenager and whatever. He's just my annoying little brother, but we had become really close and I really depended on him a lot for emotional support and encouragement. I would have never guessed that he was struggling that deeply with some of his emotional struggles. For sure. Kate, first off, I just want to say I'm so sorry for the loss of your brother, Andrew. And second, I want to thank you before we get into all of this and dig into this. I want to thank you for having the courage to share your story here on the podcast. I know it's not easy to talk about and it's not easy to share, but by you being open about Andrew and his struggles and the struggles that you guys faced as a family afterwards is detrimental to others who are struggling right now. And I, again, I just want to say thank you again before we dig into more of this. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I found it very therapeutic to share because I did spend several years keeping it inside and that was not good for my emotional health, my mental health. So I jump at the opportunity to share the story because it is very, very therapeutic for me. 
believe it or not. (laughs) I can see that, right? Like it's instead of holding it all in and keeping it to yourself and struggling with this by yourself, have somebody that you can talk to and share with that is able to, even if they're not able to help you or say the right thing, just having a listening ear is so important and so helpful to people who are going through things. Yeah. So like you mentioned before, in retrospect, with Andrew in regards to his stress and anxiety, was this something that he felt comfortable in sharing with you or was this something that he kept to himself? Absolutely not. He would not have shared. He was the kind of person that you've got your own struggles. I don't need to burden you with mine. And, you know, I don't know if he ever had someone that he felt comfortable, you know, sharing all of those struggles and those concerns with. If he did, I don't know that person has not shared that with me. I always shared my struggles with him and I assumed that we were on the same page there, that that was, you know, turnabout was fair play and he could share with me, but that was not something he shared. I knew that he was struggling. I wouldn't have called it depression. I might've called it anxiety and stress. And I did encourage him, you know, just go home, you know, take the Friday off, go home, you know, see our doctor, you know, go visit my grandparents because that's always therapeutic for me is to go visit my grandparents if I'm not in my right mind <laughs> set because they're always so, they've been through so many struggles themselves and are always positive and are always encouraging. That's always a real easy thing to do to help pick myself up is to go visit them. And so that was my advice to him. You know, go home, visit the doctor, see you know, visit our grandparents, you know, see mom and dad and, you know, maybe our doctor will prescribe something to help you, you know, to kind of calm your nerves as you work through some of this stuff or he'll suggest something else. But, you know, the doctor we were seeing at the time, longtime family doctor, had been our doctors our entire lives and always wanted to have a conversation before you talk, you know, any further about medication or anything like that. And I knew that he would feel comfortable talking to him about it if he was ready. And he wasn't ready because he never did. And, you know, I respected that at the time. He was kind of stubborn. Andrew's kind of stubborn and he had to do things on his own time. (laughs) And so I didn't think too much of it when he didn't, you know, take my recommendation. Although I wish he would have. But mental health was not a conversation that was being had at the time. I knew people who had struggled with mental health issues and I knew of people that were on medication for those issues, but it was still a pretty taboo subject in our family and in our community. Right. Well, I can relate to Andrew in the stubbornness as well as taking your own time to do your own things, because I know for me personally and my mental health journey, it took me a long time and a lot of guts and courage to just go have a conversation with my doctor about medication because of the stigma around it. Right. I just thought like, why do I need something to make me quote unquote normal when honestly it's just a chemical imbalance that a lot of people have and it's not abnormal to have these things. But like you said, the stigma around it and even it just being six years ago, I don't remember having open conversations or hearing of open conversations with people talking about their mental health. I think we've come a long way since that time. And I'm hoping now, even just by us talking and us sharing these things, it's it's giving people hope and courage that if they're going through something or they're struggling with something, that 
just go have a conversation with a doctor. They might say that you don't need anything or they might prescribe you something. And if they do, that's great. And I hope it helps you. Absolutely. You know, I didn't realize I probably struggled with a little bit of anxiety my whole life. I've always been able to handle it myself. But, you know, after, you know, a couple of years in of being without Andrew, why do I need to go through the extra stress of dealing with the anxiety on my own? I'm just going to go to the doctor. We're going to have that conversation. And then I met my counselor and I can't imagine my life without her now because she has helped me with so many coping mechanisms and, you know, just to an unbiased person, getting everything off my chest and walking out of there feeling like a million bucks because, you know, I have a fresh perspective from somebody completely unbiased who has no, no skin in the game and can tell me, you know, like these are legitimate feelings. It's okay to struggle with these things. And how can you look at this in a different way? Or how can you cope with this? I just can't imagine my life. I don't know why I waited so long. Right. Why struggle when there's tools out there to help you? I just can't imagine life before. Right. And I feel the complete exact same as you. I don't know how or why I waited so long to start talking about mental health and getting myself some help and all of the good things that have happened since then and that continue to happen because of that. And I can't encourage anyone enough to go and speak to a counselor or to speak to their doctor. Absolutely. Or if you're not there yet, find a really close friend or family member that, you know, you feel comfortable with just sharing. And, you know, it it never hurts to get a second opinion. I've had people tell me before, well, my doctor told me I didn't like what my doctor had to say when I told them I felt like I was struggling. Part of just your health journey in general is finding a doctor who you trust and who you appreciate their opinion. You know, not, we all have different personalities and we don't all get along the same. And so don't give up if the first person you talk to doesn't give you an answer that satisfies you. I've had lots of people tell me, oh, well, the doctor said I didn't need it or my doctor won't help me. Don't settle. Absolutely. So you mentioned before about your community and the stigmas around mental health. Do you think that prior to the passing of Andrew, that mental health was talked about on a regular basis in your community or was it quite a taboo? I think there was a little bit of conversation. Our health department is very strong in the services they offer for mental health and also substance abuse support which the more you learn about mental health, the more you see that a lot of substance abuse goes hand in hand with a mental illness as well. And so I think there were some resources and there was some talking happening, but there was a, you know, several suicides, you know, after 2010 that kind of rocked our county. Some very, you know, some, some I don't know how to say this, like people like Andrew, like, you know, good people who graduated and had been to college or were off at college, had good jobs. You know, they weren't, you know, they were upstanding members of the community that you would have never, you would have said, I would have never thought that they struggled with their mental health. And I think as, you know, you get a few more and you get a few more. Initially, we were involved with the group in our county called Suicide Outreach and Support. And that was more of a peer group that you know, anybody who experienced loss could come and talk. And, you know, we worked through some activities that would help us deal with our grief. And, 
you know, another touch of it was mental health awareness in our community. And I think that was really an excellent beginning conversation. We had a couple high school students, one we lost to suicide and, and another that we lost to a tragic car accident and even one drug overdose. And so it was starting to affect the younger people in our community. I think that really woke a lot of people up and said, you know, hey, we need to talk about this because, you know, it's not just adults, it's our high school students who are struggling and we really need to wake up because these are just kids. You know, some of these kids hadn't even graduated high school yet and they had, you know, taken their life or, or made poor choices and, you know, we can do better. I think a lot of people, I felt this way, you know, as a teacher for my community, we can do better for our kids. We need to support them. You know, we can't take away poverty. We can't take away some of the experience when they're at home, but we certainly can support them at school and help them get some of the resources at school they need to work with their mental health. 2015, 2016, 2017, that was a really time period where the community was, you know, waking up and acknowledging you know, turning their eyes towards mental health and acknowledging that, you know, there's something more that we can do. Yes, absolutely. So since that time, has there been any initiatives that have launched, whether that be in the schools or just in the general community that you can share with us? Well, several things, actually. We have a group in the community who supports individuals who are struggling with recovery. I think a lot of the members of this group have experienced some kind of substance abuse themselves. They kind of support each other and raise money for worthy causes in the area. An actual group I'm involved with now that was launched in 2018, Crossover Ministries, we are a faith-based ministry that aims for mental health awareness and wellness in our community. And we get to do a lot of powerful things because we are faith-based. We don't accept government aid. We only accept donations, and we get a lot of donations from local churches and foundations to do some of the things that we've been doing. We've been offering trainings for the community. We've also, through the pandemic, we've kind of changed our methods here, but donating to local food pantries and supporting the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and NAMI and some of the groups like that. We'd actually like to have uh, recovery support peers in our community. We're still shaping what that program is going to look like, but basically these are people who have experienced substance abuse disorders, mental health disorders, but they would be, you know, a peer in the community that if someone was struggling, they could reach out to us and meet with these people and have kind of a partner to back them up as they go through their journey. We've also been involved with other trainings like Divorce Care for Kids, which is an excellent program. There's a parent component and a kid component, but it basically it's supporting our youth and their parents who have experienced some kind of separation of their family, not just divorce, but, you know, if they've had an elderly grandparent living with them and they lose them, just some kind of change in their home status. We're also working on starting a Celebrate Recovery group in our county to support some of those who have overcome their substance abuse struggles. So just a lot of things happen really fast for crossover ministries in two years, but we have a lot of passionate volunteers in our community that are more interested in the substance abuse or more interested in supporting the youth or more interested in some of the health services that we could offer. But we all come together and put together some pretty cool programs for our community. That sounds amazing, Kate. And it just sounds like it covers such a broad 
spectrum that all comes back to mental health and it's helping a lot of people. So that's amazing. Yeah. And we really only have 10 or 15 volunteers, right? We're still a pretty small group. And sometimes I look down at our agenda when we have a board meeting and I think that we have bit off way more than we can chew, but it's just amazing you know, through thoughtful prayer and bringing God into our work, we just provide. It just seems like everything goes off, maybe not without a hitch, but all the programs go off like they're supposed to. And, you know, the pastors come out and help us. The churches of the community um, are there for our backup. And we've just been able to accomplish a lot in two years. And I'm extremely proud to be a part of the group because I think The plans that we have for the future are much bigger than our little group of 10 or 15, but we're willing to pursue because we know that God will provide. Absolutely. And I think just the passion in your voice and the passion that you have when you're talking about this, it just shines through. And I think you are going to help a lot of people. So thank you for doing that for your community. And I am so excited to see where you and the rest of the volunteers take the crossover ministries. Me too. Me too. Because I think that some of our long-term goals, when, I'm going to say when, because I'm fairly confident that we can make this happen. When it comes to fruition, I am going to be shouting it from the mountaintops because it's going to be very powerful for our community. Our county is at the top end of the list for the percentage of suicides due to mental health and substance abuse. And it's pretty disheartening. And it's a wake-up call, you know, back in 16, 17, 18, when we were contemplating what to do next and how we could support the community. So, Right. Well, it sounds like you've found the right spot to do it. And like I said, I'm so excited to see where you guys take this and how you can expand and grow. Yeah. So tell us how you have gotten to the point where you are today, where you're comfortable with sharing your story and Andrew's story and why this has been so important to you. Well, when we first lost Andrew, this taboo with mental health and suicide, and there were a lot of people in my life that didn't know how to react, what to say, what to do. And so they just didn't do anything. And I can't fault them for that. I understand the difficult position they were in, but, you know, it led me to some insecure thoughts. Do they think I did something wrong? Do they think my parents did something wrong? Do they think I didn't care about my brother, you know, just all of those thoughts, those completely irrational thoughts that run through your head, you know, when you feel insecure about something. And I spent several years kind of being mad about it. I was mad. I didn't want to lose my friends, you know, and I didn't want to lose my friends and I didn't want to lose my acquaintances that I had gained through the livestock industry and through agriculture. But there were a lot of people who didn't know what to say or how to act. And I spent a lot of time being kind of mad about it. And I don't like being mad. It was very taxing emotionally and physically to my body. And I don't like to live in that state. And part of me that says, Andrew will have not died in vain if I can help at least one person. And it's really hard for me to help somebody if I don't share my story. And so I talk about him all the time. And I know I still make new people. I still make them uncomfortable when I talk about him and they say, oh yeah, how old is your brother? Well, I lost lost him to suicide. And I know that makes people feel super uncomfortable, but if I don't talk about it as candidly as I do, then somebody who's never experienced a mental health issue or a, a mental health tragedy in their life, 
they don't know how to handle that. And if I don't talk back candidly about it, then it'll be hard for them to get to that point to candidly about it. So it was so freeing. It was so, I felt like I'd been let out of a dungeon or something. I don't even know how to describe it. But when I started talking about it, openly talking about it, it was just very powerful to me. And I just felt a lot happier than I had in the last couple of years. And that was very important to me. And I got over a lot of things. I got over feeling bad about making people feel uncomfortable about talking about him. You know, I got over, you know, all of the insecurities that I had, you know, do people think it's my fault? Did I do something wrong? You know, because those thoughts will trap you if you let them. And part of that is thanks to my counselor. She's helped me get in the right mindset. You know, when I think about Andrew and when I recall the memories that we made together, it's not, I'm going to sit down and cry about him now. It's a, I'm going to smile because we really had an awesome childhood and we really had a lot of good times together. And being in a place where you can enjoy the memories and my boys help a lot too. I have two boys, Bodie's five and Bryce is three and getting to make a lot of memories with them and sharing the things that I loved to do with Andrew with them also helps as well. But letting go of all the stigma and the insecurities and just, you know, this is me. This is me. I lost my brother to suicide and it's a part, he was a part of me. His memory is a part of me. I'm going to share. I just can't keep my mouth shut anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it because it's what helps me. Kate, that makes me, this seems really weird to say, but it makes me so happy that you are in this spot where you are able to celebrate Andrew and celebrate the life that he lived, though it was not long enough. I'm just happy that you're able to remember the good and by you sharing your story, know that you help so many people and you are helping end the stigma around suicide and mental health and it being a taboo topic to talk about. So thank you for sharing. It just makes me so happy. (laughs) which is the weirdest thing to say, right? Like, it is very weird. (laughs) I know, I know. Well, I'm going through all the chills again. When we first lost him, we really connected with a lot of his friends that he had had at Western. And we would go back and visit and be involved with the events at the farm and go out to dinner with his friends. And those might have been people we might have never met had we not lost him. And they're some of the coolest friends have in your life. And even though if they're from all across the country and I don't get to see him very often, you know, connecting regularly with his college friends. And then also, you know, he went to junior college before he went to Western. And so we have a group of junior college friends that we make a point to see occasionally and his high school friends. I probably see his high school friends more than high school friends. And it's just another component to it is finding that community, those people who get it. I mean, they all get because they were some of those People were just as close, if not closer, to him than I was. And gosh, I couldn't have. Part of where I am today is because his friend reached out to me for comfort. And so, you know, it was really a mutual, it was a mutual thing. And that was very important too. Yeah, for sure. So tell us, were there any resources that you found particularly helpful to you after loss of Andrew? Or are there any resources that you have today or that you use today that you still find to be helpful? You know, back in 2014, I didn't know any resources existed. And I didn't really seek any out. And I relied a lot on my church family uh, to support me. 
And we found the Sunday after we lost Andrew, we went to church. What else do you do on Sunday morning? We all go to church. We went to church. And I think it shocked a lot of people that we were there, but we needed them. We needed their support in that time. We relied a lot on our church family, but today there are so many resources. NAMI and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention have great resources on their website. The National Suicide Prevention Text Line, you can text. You don't want to, some people are, you know, I don't even know if I can say the words out loud. Well, the way we're driven in this world today, I feel like a lot of people, they might not be able to say it out loud, but I bet they could text it. Uh, I think that's a powerful tool. There are even some specific ones for teens and, you know, a specific number. I can't remember the name of this group, but they have uh, those teens who live with a gender difference. Like if they're LGBTQ, if they're, or if they're in that category, they have some added stress and there's a special call line for them. And what's great about these call numbers is Traditionally, they're staffed by people who have some experience as well. And I think that's powerful too. You know, mom and dad might not get it. Your coworkers might not get it. Your friends might not get it. But if you call one of these helplines, chances are the person who answers has either experienced it themselves or they have people in their life who have experienced mental health struggles. And I don't know, if I, had I pursued one of those call lines or one of those text lines when I was struggling, maybe my path might have been a little different in the beginning at least, but I think there's more resources every day. And I share a lot of those on social media. I share those a lot with my students. You know, I've had a lot of, a lot of very real conversations with my students in the past. And I think that's the reason why I tell my students about Andrew, because if they know you have experienced something similar to them, they're more willing to open up to you. And that's my ultimate goal as an educator, not just to teach them, but to also support them and whatever they're struggling with. Because, you know, high school can be a challenging time mentally and emotionally and physically as well, too. So, Yeah, absolutely. And for those kids to have those resources throughout high school, and then when they're transitioning to college age kids and being grown adults and all of these things for them to have these tools that they've had in their tool belt since they've been teenagers. I just think that that is going to be so helpful for them. Yes. So tell us about the things that you've been working on. You've already told us all about the amazing work that you're doing with Crossover Ministries, but are you doing any other training or are you thinking about doing any other training when it comes to mental health? Well, I have several programs that we advocate heavily with Crossover, most of which I've participated in myself. And these are programs that are available anywhere. You can access them through the internet, and some of them have you know, subscription costs or speaker fees, but still very powerful to offer in your communities if, if anybody's interested in helping your community be more mental health aware. QPR stands for Question, Persuade, and Refer. That's a great one for anybody. Anybody, I mean, if you talk to people, QPR would be beneficial. It's a what questions to ask what things to say if someone close to you is experiencing a mental health issue and who to send them to, you know, who to refer them to when you're done talking. TIC is trauma-informed care. That's a very good one because trauma is a weird animal. It does lead to a lot of mental health issues and it can come from a lot of different places. It can come from childhood. It can come from the workplace. You know, most often we talk about trauma and 
you know, the military, you know, PTSD, we see that in a lot of soldiers, but there are a lot of people who experience trauma and it results in PTSD from other things, not just that, you know, there's a lot of scary things in our life, not just war and even small things can cause trauma in the long run. So if you understand trauma, you can better refer and encourage those who are struggling with the mental health issue that has resulted from trauma. Those are the main two. Those are my two favorites as far as the mental health training that I've been to. I do plan to become a certified recovery support peer. So I will be able to work with some of the employees that we hope to hire through Crossover Ministries. I don't have, I mean, I have experienced loss from suicide, but some of the people we have been interviewing have more serious mental health trauma in their life than I've had. But I want to go through the training as the board member and the liaison with the group and also be able to support when I can with suicide survivors. We got lots of things in the works. I've done a couple other podcasts and I'm kind of building a social media following just by sharing parts of my experience, encouraging Bible verses, stories, that sort of thing as well. That's great. And I'm going to link all of those in the show notes for the listeners who are looking for different resources so they can check out uh, QPR and the tick, all of these synonyms and all of these things, it's hard to keep track of them all, but I put them all down in a list. So I will put it in the show notes so people can find them and connect with them. So awesome. Kate, is there any words of advice or hope that you would like to leave the listeners with today? Well, I would say I'm pretty stubborn like my brother too. So I would say don't give up. You have bad days, you have good days. But don't let those bad days take you far down enough that you're not going to get up and try again the next day. I still have bad days sometimes, but I'm an in-game. I have a goal of mental health awareness and wellness for everybody I come into contact with. And sometimes that's the only thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. If, you know, I need to go, somebody needs to see my smile day or somebody needs to, you know, I'm going to have an impact somewhere. And if I can't get out of bed for myself, then I can get out of bed for my boys and for the people who need that encouragement and support. And just don't give up. Something's not working. Try something new. And surround yourself with that community who is willing to listen. And maybe they don't understand. Ideally, we could find a community of people that understand, but at least a community of people that will listen and support you in your journey. And if you don't have, <laughs> this is this is on the flip side. Those people who haven't experienced a mental health issue or a loss because of mental health, being yourself aware of the tools that are out there and also being willing to listen. You can't imagine someone struggling with mental illness. They just need somebody to listen. And, you know, being a good listener is can be very beneficial as well. So, so don't give up. Find your community and be a listener. Absolutely. All good things. And I love what you said that somebody needs to see your smile today. That put a smile on my face. So thank you for that. <laughs> for the listeners who are interested in supporting the Crossover Ministries, is there a place that they can contact you? Are you taking donations? Tell us more about it. Yes, at Crossover, we're always accepting donations. You can visit our Facebook page, Crossover Ministries, or our website, www.crossovernfp.com. Facebook's a great way to get a hold of me. I do I assist a lot with the with our Facebook page. Also, my personal uh, social media, my Twitter handle is Hope in the Hollow, 
and my Facebook page is Hope in the Hollow as well. Reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk to you if you have questions about any of the trainings or crossover or you'd like to connect with me for any other reason, I would be happy to hear from you. Awesome. And I, again, will put all of them in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. And Kate, I think the work that you're doing in your community with crossover ministries is just amazing. So I will be making a donation on behalf of the Rural Woman podcast, because I just want to continue to support the amazing work that you're doing. And I want to hear more about it. And I want to see all of the amazing things that you guys are able to do. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kate, for sharing your story and the story of Andrew with us today here on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I just know that your story is going to help at least one person that listens to this. So thank you so much. Yeah, I've accomplished my goal then. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Music